Chapter 3, 1993 to 1994. After almost five years at the bottom of the Microsoft organization learning the ropes, I am given the opportunity to see things from the very top. I take on the poorly defined role as technical assistant to Bill G. No one is quite sure what make that might entail, but there is so much going on. Microsoft is at the start of developing a new future operating system, eventually Windows NT. At the same time, Windows is also in the midst of the development of Chicago, or eventually Windows 95. Office is making huge progress, and so is the new server business. I learned firsthand how Bill G sees strategy and running Microsoft. Section 14, executing on the expansive vision of Bill Gates, a job that I knew nothing about, working for a person I had never really met, doing I have no idea what, a thought bubble of mine, 1992. I blew off Bill Gates the first time I was supposed to meet with him. Well, at least the first 20 minutes of our meeting in the fall of 1992. I had been in the AFX group leader's Jeff Harbour's office talking about some last-minute ship details for VC++ when I realized, oh crap, I'm supposed to be meeting with Bill G. Days earlier, Natalie Yount, email Natalie Y, at the urging of Jeff, spoke to me about taking a job that I knew nothing about, working for a person I'd never really met, doing I had no idea what. It was called technical assistant. Natalie represented a rarity at Microsoft. She was a core torch carrier of the company culture, but not a technical person. She came from the famed Xerox Park, where she worked as a research librarian in the labs during some of the most innovative years at one of the most innovative places in technology or anywhere. At Microsoft, she quickly captured Microsoft's culture and became the leader that bridged fresh out of college technologists and the real world. During our meeting, she and I talked for a bit about me, my least favorite subject, and about our conversation that didn't feel like an interview. Then she described the job. There had only been one other formal technical assistant, and that was Aaron Getz, email Aaron G., another college hire who had worked with Doug Clunder on Microsoft Money as the only program manager. Carl Stork, email Carl S., a college classmate of Bill's, had previously unofficially held the job very early on, where he worked with Bill on the organization of commands for multi-tools apps. Richard Brody, the original Word for DOS developer and former Xerox Park engineer himself, held a job like this for a year. Jay Blumenthal, emailed Jabe B, had as well. Jabe had joined Microsoft as a college hire in the early 1980s. Jabe was the original program manager at Microsoft and held the lead design role for Microsoft Excel before leading efforts in the newly formed consumer software division where multimedia CD-ROM products and other home software was being developed. It sounded like the job was assist Bill G with technical stuff, I thought to myself. In other words, there was no real job description. Jeff later described it as Bill G's eyes and ears on a deep technology level so he could continue to be engaged in a way he wanted to. That helped slightly. One thing was clear. The previous holders of this sort of job were apps program managers, while I was more of a tools software design engineer. A concern Bill G had, I was told, was that as an SDE, I lacked a big picture view and was too focused on the code. But that was not how I'd been trained. Jeff told me not to worry. Natalie later sent me a note and copied Bill G's assistant to schedule a meeting. In thinking about what this sort of meeting would be like and how to prepare, the realities of Microsoft began to sink in. Not the product realities, those I understood well, but the realities of the company and, and that it and Bill G were both changing. Jeff, my mentor, who had clearly arranged for this meeting to happen, offered me some insights. First and foremost, 
He confided in me that the company was now at a scale that Bill can't keep track at the level that detail that he wants to. This is not to take away from his IQ or anything, but just simply that Microsoft had a lot of stuff going on, and Jeff talked about how he could not put a finger on it, but Bill was different during the formation and shipping of AFX products, different in the sense that his input was more abstract, strategic for sure, but not at the level of detail he engaged on the evolution of Word or the first versions of Windows. Bill wanted to and believed he could continue to engage at a deep technical level, but Jeff felt he needed tools or a person to scale that effort. That's how he came to suggest me to Bill. The first few years after the Microsoft IPO had been kind to Microsoft, whether before the IPO on the cover of Time magazine in 1984 or the cover of Fortune magazine in 1986 just after the IPO. The image of the youthful and brainy nerd cemented Bill as a leading innovator of our age. Heck, it seemed like the whole country was embracing khakis and button-down shirts. It was like the 10-year-old film Revenge of the Nerds had become reality. The online version has some magazine covers from both Time and Fortune showing those pictures and Bill and khakis and nerd glasses and all. Then came the book Hard Drive, Bill Gates and the Making of the Microsoft Empire by two reporters for the local Seattle Post-Intelligencer who had covered Microsoft for some time. The book had just come out the spring of 1992. Everyone at the company knew Bill and allies and employees did not cooperate. It was clearly intended to portray events in a negative light and was trying to be the first book to do so, and it succeeded. Writing today, I've learned books like this are written too soon and amplify, or even get incorrect, events that are still happening and still unclear, the fog of war. Even today, re reading the book's stories of hidden bugs designed to disadvantage customers or third-party developers seem as patently absurd and false as they did back then even if the book spun a yarn saying otherwise. The arrival of the book began to color interactions with the press that to this point had been even-handed and even celebratory. Microsoft and Bill seemed to be entering a bad part of the cycle of build you up, then tear you down. The online version has a co the cover of the book Hard Drive and includes the notion of the extreme hatred of Microsoft quoted on the cover. The real difficulty was the cloud of regulatory oversight that was just starting to form. While there were one-off stories, there began to be a critical mass of what might be called business practices that were claimed to be at the root of the success Microsoft was achieving. In other words, with the success, people were looking for the cause. Microsoft's aggressive business practices were starting to be viewed as crossing some line. There had to be a way to explain the success that was not rooted in building great products, or so it seemed to me. The way that employees could see this were through the stories and trade press, most often with quotes from who we viewed as competitors or perhaps even bitter competitors that had lost. The primary dynamic going on was that we talked at lunch endlessly was how the success of Windows even caught Microsoft off guard compared to the determination we felt to make OS2 and the IBM partnership work. What Microsoft did, not, did was not pull back or even sacrifice that partnership to bolster Windows. But rather, it was just quick to recognize the product was not working and to find a different path. Unfortunately, most of the leaders in the, in the industry chose to put more faith in IBM, delivering more than even Microsoft did. That caused a lot of bitterness among the software leaders of the first era of the IBM PC, all of whom were under increasing pressure to have similar success on Windows. My old friend from drinks at the Software Developer Conference, Philippe Kahn, the founder and CEO of Borland, 
was one of those who led the charge, even advocating for IBM. What was so weird was that in the lunchroom, we were mostly relieved. It was not a master plan, but a master pivot. There, there were then the, sec, the constant stream of opinion pieces in the trade press, criticizing Microsoft for products that were late or buggy. Every product was late and buggy. While we might argue at the very least our products were less buggy, given the financial success, the industry and customers were expecting better. Across the industry, trading barbs in the press nearly continuously for the past year or more over the future of operating system platforms was now routine practice. Analysts and executives on all sides would say the others are spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt, or FUD. FUD is a tactic or theory about a tactic designed to prevent customers from buying rival products by sowing negative views. In an ironic twist that really gnawed at Microsofties, Often it would be said that Microsoft was employing a FUD strategy just as IBM had done before, and perhaps even Microsoft had become the new IBM, even in the early 1990s. A recognition of the declining influence of IBM in the personal computer industry and Microsoft rising influence, or even dominance. NT was viewed as the center of claims of FUD because it was shipping real soon now And at the same time, Microsoft was indeed putting forth a pretty grand vision for the product that would take years to materialize. Internally, both now and for quite some time, Microsoft felt and acted like the insurgent. The computer companies we knew growing up were being left behind, and many companies we knew from just a few years ago were struggling with the transition to PCs from mainframes and minicomputers. It was not difficult to imagine That fate for us if we just missed a few beats, executed slowly, or failed to deliver. At the same time, we were just struggling to keep the wheels on trying to deliver products, fix all the bugs, and make things work. The narrative outside power and influence simply didn't match our day-to-day experience of fragility and challenges. We didn't read about a power and did not feel it or even understand what it felt like. Certainly no team returning from a Build G review felt power, They felt the same pressure to achieve technically. It was all super weird. These were all really big issues, the subject of lunchtime gossip. I could never hope to have an intelligent conversation with Bill G about them. I was much more worried about Bill asking me questions about technology I would not know the answer to, or pushing me on flaws in our own products that I'd been part of creating. Maybe even saying something was the stupidest thing he'd ever heard. I I wanted to be high IQ, even though it was still unclear if I was interviewing for a job or just doing some sort of informational meeting. I had no idea what it was like to change jobs inside Microsoft, and almost no one I know had even done that yet, save for the OS2 people moving as the project started winding down. I set up time to meet with Bill G. 